time for the latest in sports debate. The hottest topics, the biggest question marks, answered right now. This is The Critical Eye with Erie Sports Now's Isaac Petcash. All right, what a week as we wind down February and enter into March. Welcome to The Critical Eye, another weekly show as we get set for an exciting weekend of a lot of things going on. Wherever you may be listening, however you might be enjoying our podcast today, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as broadcasting on other platforms. From the Happy 927 studio, Isaac Petcast, John Lydic joining us. We hope Jovan Johnson will be on the phone in just a couple of minutes. He's, of course, our Erie Sports Now insider and the newly minted head coach of the Northeast Great Pickers. Got a lot to get to in this podcast today, including... The main portion of this, we're going to be talking about the D10 basketball tournament. Boy, have there been some upsets in the first few rounds, and we're going to talk about those. Who do you think is moving on? Who do you think has the best chance in the state playoffs? And we'll give our predictions for the finals of the District 10 playoffs. Going to bring in now Jovan Johnson. Hey, Jovan, you got us? Yeah, I'm on. All right, Jovan, we're right now just starting things off, and you come at a great time because we're going to start off with this. You know, the big news of the week, gentlemen, was the departure and the retirement of Cathedral Prep head coach Mike Mishler, retiring after uh, significant, significant progress made with the Cathedral Prep Ramblers. He wins five state titles in his time and his tenure at Cathedral Prep. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting because I think this was the cherry on top to what has been a circus and a merry-go-round of coaching vacancies in District 10 this year. Jovan, of course, you filled the job at Northeast, but I'm curious to hear your reaction when when you heard the news earlier this week that Mike was gone. Uh, you had some experience with him. Uh, what, did, what did you think when you heard the news? Were you surprised? Absolutely surprised. I mean, I was one of those guys that, you know, I date back to the glory days of, of Mike Mishler when, he first started winning state championships with Cathedral Prep, you know, when he built that program to what it became. And, you know, to hear a guy who has accomplished so much, um, been a powerhouse over the last two decades, and, you know, to hear him retiring is it's, it's just a phenomenal career. Uh, definitely surprising. Didn't expect it at all. Um, but he left the program in a great place, and, and he had a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame career. You know, Jovan, I'm curious because I think for some coaches it was about family. For other coaches it was about just the stress of the job. You know, we're going to have Coach Mishler in on Sunday for our Sports Blitz show. But I'm curious for you, what do you think was the main reason why he departed and why he decided to call it a career uh, and retire after this year? I mean, I think it's family for sure. You know, I know he's been dealing with some things, you know, aside from the game. Uh, that are bigger than the game of football, um, you know, just some issues with health and, and things like that. His son's playing college football now, um, being able to get away to his games and, and, and experience that, um, be a part of his son's career going forward. Um, I, th- I just think for him, he's accomplished so much, um, but also, you know, with, with things dealing with health and, and, you know, family and all of those things, I just think he, he, he was in um, over his head, to be able to go ahead and leave at the right time. 
uh, before anything tragic happened. You know, it's, it seemed to me when I heard the news, first of all, it seemed abrupt. I mean, I, I don't think anyone expected Mish to coach for another 10 years, but at the same time, I, I don't know if anyone necessarily expected him to go right now. I mean, I mean, JD, when, when we got that update, I think it was what on, was it Tuesday that, that the update came out and the press conference uh, was held Monday, Monday, Monday. Uh, about one o'clock. Yeah. So, so you're, I mean, what did you think? Because the way I saw it, it was it was almost. I know in his statement he talked about that he wanted to leave Cathedral Prep in a great place for the next head coach. Do you think this was more about his personal situation, or you think it was about the fact that almost kind of like Tom Brady, he wanted to leave maybe earlier than he expected to leave, so that he could turn the program over to someone else? Well, I think you look at the connections and bonds that he had, and, and this is something that we had talked about with him in the past, is you know he, he had a lot of connections to, to a lot of the guys that I think are, are, are leaving now in the program. And that's not to say that he didn't create those bonds and, and, and lifelong connections with some of the younger players on his team. Uh, because that's you know that was the thing that he said the most was, you know, hey, the wins the state championships obviously are nice. Um, you enjoy them, but that's what he, he treasured the most. I think maybe it was just the the, the timing where maybe that the last bit of those champ, state championship teams were now here at this juncture uh, departing for graduation, and he just thought, you know what, it's time for for me to see Joe. Uh, you know, I know it's been hard for him to try and get into travel. Um, you know, as Jovan alluded to, there's you know certainly some things in his personal life that that. Uh, um, y- you want to make sure that you're giving the proper attention that we that he needs. Uh, you know, this this is a this is in the end of it a game uh, and, and one of the harder jobs, uh, if not the hardest in, in District Ten. And, and the reasoning why is obviously there's a lot that comes with the name Cathedral Prep, and there's a lot of expectations. And he he hinted at it a bit. Is you know you go eleven and two here. There's people that are pushing. We need to see you back here next year, and we need to see better things. And and, uh, you know, that, that is a lot to carry for two decades uh, of his time there and his two different tenures. And I think at the end, it just it, 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 there's a toll that, that is paid. Um, you know, and maybe it's just time he said, you know what, I want to make sure that I give to my family all that I, they have helped sacrifice for me um, to focus on, on, on those people that are most important in his life. And you make a good point, too. I think I think the job for Cathedral Prep specifically is almost the Alabama effect for high school football here in this area, right? Nick Saban goes 11-1 and but loses in the first round of the college football playoff, and everyone considers the season a failure. I think the same with Cathedral Prep. I mean, we saw in this past year, you know, they make the state quarterfinals, lose to Emotep Charter, and people are wondering what the heck is going on. You know, and I think, you know, for Mish... Of course, a great coach can handle that great responsibility, but you can only handle it for so long. And the Belichicks and the Sabins of the college and the pro ranks, I think, fall in line with Mishler. Uh, and that's why he's he's no longer going to be the head coach. You know, th- this question goes out to both of you. I, th- I think it might might be a, a good topic to touch on. You know, this has been a year in this offseason where we've had a lot of coaching vacancies. I mean, you go down the list, prep general McLean is now open with Jim Wells, not returning Northeast. Of course, with Joe Vaughn filling the job, you've got Iroquois who had to fill a new head coach, Maplewood going from Brian Borkovich to Jason Wargo. Seneca is open as well. Have you ever seen a year, um, John, that has been this much of turnover? And, and, And do you think that has anything to do with just the stress 
of what football has become and, and you know the fact that I think COVID exacerbated a lot of the expectations for certain programs. I, I, I think you know COVID plays a factor into it, but I think more of a factor is the expectations from families and parents on, on what athletics are. I think, you know, and, and this may go back to Joe Vaughn's days or, you know, or, or certain other people in decades, you know, you went out there, it, it was a thing to, to learn life lessons. And I think a lot of what is now being portrayed, and I'm not saying that, that, that there's, you know, this is every parent's goal, but, you know, everybody needs help in life and, and athletics can be an avenue of which, you uh, can provide financial assistance if college is the route you're going or, or, or other avenues. And, and I think there's an expectation that when, when every athlete steps onto a team or wants to pursue something with a team, that that, that avenue is going to provide what is expected for some. And I, I think for whatever reason, you know, it's like the coaches are just becoming tired. It, you're, you're managing more today in terms of off the field um, – check marks for for lack of a better term than you maybe were years ago and i and i think for a lot of coaches there there's there's a lot that goes unnoticed for what they do for these young men or young women does you know this goes for all sports not just football and i think it's becoming harder and harder to manage all of that and have the success on a field that a lot of districts want to have so i'm curious in the first few weeks that you've been at northeast have you noticed that at all? Have you noticed the increased demand for expectations, especially maybe from when you were in high school to where you are now? Because it definitely seems like from year in and year out, the the expectations and the training regimen, I mean, it, it's significant. It's year-round. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it, um, as to what John said, is that with, it, with expectation comes, you know, all these different things that parents and, and players and, and staff members, you know, they all want, they all want a certain level of, of excellence. And, you know, when you maybe fall a little bit short of that, they forget about all the other excellent things that you've done. You know, being a coach is, is very hard. I mean, there you gotta be passionate. You gotta, you gotta instill discipline in these guys. You gotta make sure they're accountable. You know, you gotta make sure they're doing what they're supposed to in the classroom there's a lot of factors that go into being a football coach and a head coach at that. Um, but, you know, since I've been at Northeast, you know, I've been overwhelmed with the amount of support that I've received. Obviously it's probably because I'm new. I'm, I'm coming in at, at a time where, you know, the program hasn't been successful and, you know, they're, they're looking for something to, to spark that and get it back to where, where it should be. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's always going to be those parents that, you know, have children that they think should be doing X, Y, and Z. You know, they're going to be heckling if, if their kid's not out there playing. There's always that talk about, you know, what their kids should be doing or, you know, who should be playing. And, you know, you always have those coaches on the sideline that, that want to try to tell the coach how to do his job. Um, but I'm cut from the old school. I'm, I'm one of those guys that if you put the work in – then you'll see the results. You'll get the the rewards that you want that you want to gain, but you have to be committed to the excellence that is the standard. And sometimes kids aren't committed to the standard. They just want to show up and play. And you don't just show up and win on game day. So you know there's a lot that goes into it. And, and coaches do get tired. You you get tired of you know all the backlash when you when you might fall one game short of of your ultimate goal. And uh, 
I know with Mishler, you know, his tenure has been the top of the world forever. Um, so when they make it to the quarterfinals, a lot of people feel like that's not good enough when that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, and, and it's crazy, I think, too. It's not just for the players, but I think, and this is not to discredit parents because I, I'm all for passionate parents, passionate families in high school sports but I think the expectations from parents is even higher too I mean John and I see this on a night-to-night basis you know we're going to high school events and it's not any school in particular but I mean you see how excited and amplified the parents are sometimes and I think that translates to the kids too and I think that also translates to why there is some concern with with not just coaching but player enrollment official enrollment we just talked to Paul Pilotowski of the uh, district for 10 football chapter for officials they're they're 50 percent down in officials this year and i think i think that all just goes into the the pressure that individuals face in a football environment jovan you're experiencing it firsthand and i think we experience it too from a media level i'm curious jovan before we let you go and jd you can go in on this well i want to focus in on the two jobs that i think are the, are the biggest two jobs and, I, and i'm not saying we're going to be able to be the uh, crystal ball gazers in this here but if you had a front runner for the prep and gm job we'll start with prep jovan who do you think likely would be the guy uh, to, to get that job? Is it somebody local? Is it somebody out of state that we don't know about yet? Who do you think could be in line for that job? I mean, there's a, there's a few guys that come to mind when you think about the, the Cathedral Prep job. I think if they hire within, um, McCray, who's there right now, um, I think would be a good candidate. I think he, he's been around Mishler for a long time, um, understands the players, has a relationship with those guys, um, you know, then you, 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 if you think outside of the box and, you know, you start thinking about guys that have ties to Cathedral Prep, you think of, of Mark Brooks yep. from Northwestern. He, he was on the staff over there at Cathedral Prep. Uh, you also can throw Bo Orlando in the mix, um, I, although I'm, I'm not sure if he'd want to leave McDowell to come to Cathedral Prep um, simply because they've owned Prep over the last two years. Uh, but you know, that's an exciting and enticing job. Um, or maybe they go out and hire somebody, you know, that, that nobody knows about, maybe a, a alumni uh, of the football team from years past that have been coaching. Um, I can't think of any, but, you know, there may be a guy out there that has ties because I know prep is strong in their alumni network. So, you know, you, you just never know. You never know who they're going to bring in or who they're going to hire. Yeah, boy, J.D., you know, Jovan made a point. I think I think to me Mark Brooks makes the most sense if you're going to hire outside. But Bo Orlando, you think, he'd, you think he'd do that? You think he'd consider it? I don't know about that it's one. It's a heck of a jump. One guy that many people know around here, and I'm sure Jovan will remember as I threw it out at our Mike Ruzzi the other night. I, I don't know if he'd leave his current situation, but Donnie Hall's down at uh, Gateway currently – uh, he spent time with the Cathedral Prep program. Yeah. Um, and then you also got to think about Wayne Bradford. Yeah. He obviously coached at Edinburgh. As he was a head coach. He knows the role at a college level, and he was their defensive coordinator the last couple of seasons. 
Uh, that could be an also name internally, um, that, as Jovan alluded to, uh, that could be uh, a guy that, that Cathedral Prep's thinking about and that, that has interest in the job. Yeah, and obviously Wayne has talked about the fact that he'd like to stay retired. He doesn't really want to coach anymore, but who knows? If the prep job uh, comes calling his name, that's a possibility as well. Uh, and I think for General McLean, I'll touch on this really quickly because I think that's another decent job out there. It's one of the better jobs, I think, outside of the city in Erie County. I think Mark Brooks is good for that. And the one name I've been hearing that's internal is Marshall McCormick uh, for GM, one of their offensive coordinators. So two big, high-profile jobs out there. Uh, Jovan, appreciate you taking some time with us. How are the grapes treating you out there? Are they are they in are they in season yet, or is it too early? Oh no, we start Monday, so we're gonna start brewing up those grapes to to develop the best wine possible to know in demand. So uh, we're gonna get after it. But hopefully GM doesn't find a coach just yet. We want them to make sure that they prolong this process for a long time because we got them in week three. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say you, you, you might have some alternate incentive there. Hey, listen, <laughs> Jovan, I wish you the best, Don Perignon, uh, this season for the Great Pickers. We'll obviously be talking to you in the coming weeks. Hey, man, take care. Good to talk to you. Always. All right, that's Jovan Johnson, the head coach. At Northeast, uh, I'll tell you what, I, I know Jovan's excited of where he's at, but can you imagine if he just maybe waited out a couple more months? And, and, and you can't, you can't, John, you can't really think about that. You can't really expect that those jobs are out there. But it is just amazing. Um, not that this was a domino effect per se, but I, I honestly think that this offseason could potentially change the landscape of high school football in a couple of ways. I think what you're seeing is a lot of coaches who had some talent giving way to potentially some younger guys who could change the dynamic of how offense is run in District 10. Not not that it was never a spread style like McDowell and Prep runs, but I think you'll see more offenses start to do that now. Yeah, I think you could see that. I mean, I think it also is a changing of the guard. I think maybe some of these older, you know, or these coaches that have been around in these programs for a while uh, we're keeping out the last little bit of hope before we start to see some mergers at, at some of these programs. I mean, you know, unfortunately, the numbers are what they are, and they bear out for some some school districts. And I think that that, that soon thereafter, if the success doesn't follow and the interest in a program doesn't increase, I think you'll start to see some consolidation. So not only may in the style of some of these programs playing, as you were alluding to, but I think we could also see some changing, and, and there may be fewer schools in District 10 as we move forward, an unfortunate circumstance uh, of just, you know, the the knowledge we know now about football and other athletic uh, endeavors for some school districts. Yeah, and you take a look at the way the classes are next year. I mean, you, you've you got, I think, we're two two teams in Class 4A. That's it. I think we said Meadville and Corey are the only two teams in Class 4A. You've got none in 5A this year with Cathedral Prep, or one in 5A, I should say, with Cathedral Prep staying. But, I mean, really, it's 3A and below. If you take out McDowell, Erie, and Cathedral Prep, you've got two 4A schools. But, again, it does change the landscape and the dynamic. I think it will be exciting this year, not just to see the new coaches, but to see the new coaches against each other. I mean, Joe Vaughn and, and Northeast are going to be taking on General McLean. You're going to get Iroquois, Seneca, Maplewood, all in that area with three new head coaches. So who knows? Uh, you know, high school head coaches have more turnover from time to time than college. But I think at the same time, you're going to get to see some some guys going at it and what could be some fun, fresh new faces um, for District 10 football next year. And, of course, we're going to talk a ton about this more as we move on. All right. Speaking of excitement. You know, I don't root for chaos all that often, but I have to admit to you, John Lydic, there are some some weeks during the year where I get excited for things that I don't expect. 
And while we're going to see a lot of 1-2 matchups in the District 10 finals on Friday and Saturday, this basketball tournament for the boys and girls side so far, to me, has been a bit of a stunner. Because I think what you're seeing is you're seeing the teams that coasted through the season either struggling to win or unable to win in the quarters and the semifinals. Let's look at the tournament first from a glance, and we'll get to the boys and girls side. What has been the storyline in your mind so far through the first few days of this D10 tournament uh, in, in all six classes? Uh, I think Oil City. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's hard not to look at them in the 4A boys classification. And they had some key wins during the regular season. I just don't know if everybody thought that they could find the consistency to put it all together. Well, they certainly have here, beating a very good Harbor Creek team and then finding a way against uh, Grove City on, uh, what was that, Tuesday night yeah. at this juncture uh, of this, t- you know, of this recording. I, I mean, the Oilers, they're, you know, and I, I think it goes back to that old, you know, mentality of, hey, you know, the team is greatest as a whole, and, and this team has certainly used everybody and anybody that can do so to find the way, and, and they're built around defense. And, you know, the old mantra, whether it be football or other, that you win championships with yeah. defense, and they've shown that, and their ability to keep some of the higher-scoring offenses, now they'll face their toughest test uh, and see if they can do it one more time when they face the Fairview Tigers in the 4A championship game. Remember what we talked about last week in Class 4A specifically, is we thought there could be at least six teams that could win this tournament. And, and we're not kidding. I mean, Oil City is the number six seed. Now they're in the title game. You've got Fairview, uh, who's, for the most part, been able to coast. But the big question now is going to be, how, how can they beat a team that's already beaten them this season? Fairview, I think, only has two losses, maybe three losses on the entire season. Oil City is one of those. The other question that I'm going to have, too, is, and I know this might get into some hot water, does James Sitter start the game? Uh, a lot of a lot of controversy on Tuesday night. Uh, James Sitter going for his 1,000th point, had a dunk at the end of the game. Head coach Pat Flaherty doesn't like it. Is there any discipline with that? We'll see. But, uh, you know, that'll be a good one between Fairview and Oil City. You know, the, the, you know, the one, John, that I'm really, really impressed with, and it was going to be General McLean until they lost to Brashear on Tuesday. But but I think I think the GM win over Cathedral Prep is the singular biggest win that we've seen so far on the boys' side of the tournament. Uh, and I think what it goes to show, and this is going to be something I think for future years is going to help underdog teams, it is very hard to beat a team three times in the same year. We've seen that all across the board, not just on the boys' side, but on the girls' side too, is in the fact that when you play this many region games and now you're playing teams twice, some teams you're playing three times in the case of Prep McDowell, it's very hard when you have to go against them a third time. So, I mean, I give GM credit for their victory against Cathedral Prep. The other team that I also have to give credit to is Seneca and the fact that they've been able to make the D10 title game in Class 3A without Bobby Yost. When you think of the teams they've had to play, you know, they had to take on a Northwestern squad that, that can be chippy at times, can be tough to beat, and they won that game. Then they had to beat Girard for a third time. Uh, and I think, you know, to be able to get over the hump there and get to this game on Friday against Franklin uh, is significant. So, I mean, I think that's a team also to watch. Let's break down the championship games. I'll start on the boys' side. We'll start in Class 1A. Uh, Farrell and Jamestown, I think we both had Farrell, and that bracket hasn't changed. So we'll go ahead and, and, and go over that game. Uh, Kennedy Catholic and Rocky Grove in 2A. We had the Golden Eagles in this one. Anything changing based on what you saw, John, in the first two games? No, I, you know, and I think we look at it. Rocky Grove, they struggled in that opening matchup against Mercer. And, I, you know, you mentioned the fact of the competitiveness down, down and around District 10. 
Um, and then it, it was an arrow win against West Middlesex. Um, you know, just coming away with a 53-50, I believe, was the final score, if I'm remembering the right game here. Uh, you know, but uh, Kennedy Catholic is just hard. They're so athletic, um, and, and their ability to create, even though Cambridge Springs did a good job early on, it's it's that old, uh, you know, challenge for a lot of teams is yeah. when you're facing a very talented team like Kennedy Catholic is, to keep them down for an entire game is a harder thing to do um, rather than just say. So I'm going to stick with Kennedy Catholic in that one over Rocky Grove. I think uh, the Golden Eagles just a little bit too much. And speaking of Cambridge Springs, the Blue Devils, by virtue of the fact that there are four teams from Class 2A that make it onto the state tournament, I don't know how the heck that happened, but they're going to move on too. Uh, they're going to get to play, I think, one more game as well. They would take on West Middlesex in the third place game, but that's one of those games where they make it no matter what. So at least one team locally in Erie County in Crawford County is going to be making it on to the state playoffs in 2A. How about 3A? I mean, John, we talked about Seneca. We talked about Fairview. Uh, I think the most dominant team of the tournament has been Franklin. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't even know how any team in the state is going to have an easy time with them. I, I watched them, I, I believe, probably for the first time, at least uh, the other night against Mercyhurst Prep. And they're as talented and deep as they are offensively, their defense is just suffocating. It is very hard for teams to figure out and, and the frustration sets in so early because they are so fundamentally sound on setting their defense, finding the switches where they need to, getting to the right guys and closing out. This Franklin team, you know, talking with Joe Lidnuski about it, a guy that's that's covered this team all year long, is, you know, it's going to be hard-pressed to find many teams on the western side of the Pennsylvania bracket they're going to be able to contend with this team. That's how good they are. Can we just talk for a second about how important defense has been in the D10 tournament? I, I mean, I know we want to talk about high scoring. I know we want to talk about the teams that can light the, light up the basket, but we have not seen many high scoring games in this D10 tournament. And I think, like Franklin, defense has led the way. And I think you have to have that good backcourt and, and especially the half court press and the defensive end to be successful. I think that's what we've seen. Yeah. I, I, and is you know when you can get that good defense, it leads to the offense, as we've seen in the case of Franklin. I mean, they put up yeah. 94 and then 71 or 70, uh, respectively, in their first two games, and that's because they can get out, they get up in your face, and they get you out in transition. They make you uncomfortable, and they're going the other way because they have the the, the support. It's like you know you hear all 11 hats of the ball in football. Well, they're getting five guys that are surrounding and getting up in the face of a press defense, and when the ball gets loose, they're converging on it and they're running the other way. Way. To me, there's no worse feeling in basketball as an offense when you can't get the ball over half court. I mean, I think that's it's almost in football when you can't get it over midfield, uh, when you can't do that. I, I do want to ask you, too, in 3A, you've got Mercyhurst Prep and Girard that are playing for a berth in the state tournament. Who do you think wins that game? That's going to be a big one in Erie County on Friday. Yeah, that's going to be a, a really good one. I, you know, Girard impressed me the other night. As, as much as they, they didn't come out on top, they kept pushing back against uh, Seneca, who, who obviously won the region and is perfect still within region play. But, you know, they had answers. Um, it just wasn't to be on that night. But I, I think Gerard has a good shot. And you know what? Sean Bear always has his group, and, and he usually does pretty well when they bow out before the championship game or even if it's in the championship game. 
they have a great response to the game thereafter. So, man, it's going to be a good game. I would expect something within five points. I'll tell you what. I think Mercier's prep impressed me just like Gerard impressed you in their first-round game. I mean, I remember last week they played Northeast. Ryan Mays was almost invisible. Mercier's prep did a great job of containing him. And Aronde Bridget, uh, to go along with Dewey Bird on that team, man, they've got some offensive firepower. So that might be one of the closest games that's not a championship game this Friday night. All right, here's here's where I go out on a limb. I think Oil City's going to beat Fairview tomorrow night. I really do. Um, maybe it's a momentum thing. Maybe it's a confidence thing that they've already beat them once. But something about the fact that when you have to go through a harder road, in my opinion, to get to a championship game, you're more battle-tested. Maybe that's the wrong way to think about it, but I think Oil City's going to beat Fairview tomorrow night. What what do you what do you think? I just think there's too much size for Fairview. I mean, you look at Frizeo, you look at Shoals, um, and, and the guys that they can put it there, and then not only that the inside game, I mean their depth on the outside, whether it be Jeremy Frizeo, you know, whether it be James Sitter, um, and, and company out there, I, I just find it hard to believe. I you know, I just think they're too deep of a team. And I watched Oil City in their game against Harbor Creek, and, and they have some guys that can contend. It's another thing to throw wave after wave when you can almost, you know, switch lines per se if we're using yeah. a hockey reference and and bring in a new set of five. Um, I, hey, I wouldn't be shocked with the way Oil City's played, and they've got, you know, in a sense, nothing to lose. Uh, obviously, they're going to the state playoffs already, but nothing to lose if they just leave it all out on the line in this one because, you know, as as we've we've prognosticated and, and others um, are around the media business is that Fairview was the team to beat, so. Hey, why not go out and shock the world? Yeah, and who knows? Here's a question I have for you too, John. While we're on that topic, you know, a lot of the a lot of the district title games. I think all the district title games, both teams besides Class One A will be making it to the state tournament regardless, because most classes you get three teams in, some classes you get four. Do you think that changes at all the thought process? the game plan for the teams in the championship game because you'd love to hoist the trophy but the last thing you want is to look terrible or have no momentum or get an injury going into the state playoffs maybe so at halftime if a game's starting to get out of hand um you know i think these kids are giving it their all but you know i'm sure that weighs a factor um you know if you're down 10 points four minutes to go in the fourth quarter and you're a coach and you're like okay i can see these guys legs and we're going to have to turn around here and got three days four days you know to go do this again um you know maybe you you cut your losses at that point and try to regroup you know I, i've seen some teams win the district title and then they're ousted in round one where a team that lost in the the district title game goes on and wins two or three games in the tournament so yeah i'm certainly sure that's going to be something on the minds but you know all these coaches and, and all these players they're they're as competitive, competitive as as can be so it's also hard you know to, you see some of the players that are, are falling jumping you know diving for everything that to tell them to shut it down here yeah. in the final Bre- minutes of a breaking championship ankles game. breaking arms breaking crew necks and whatever uh, i know that there's no teams left in class 5a and 6a but i want to quickly ask you just your thoughts on the games uh cathedral prep and gm and erie and mcdowell i just want to give a shout out to all four of those teams that was the singular best night of basketball basketball in high school I have covered in my entire life here and I mean I know I may have lived here all my life I've only worked here for two years but when you get that kind of basketball and winner go home games I'll tell you what 
Erie and Cathedral Prep, despite the losses, played phenomenal. So did McDowell and GM. Just your thoughts on, on that night alone in those 5A and 6A title games uh, that were both two-point finishes. I think it shows you why high school sports matter. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, so many people either just love the game or they love so much their high school, no matter how old you get, you <laughs> still have that that passion and that that love for for you know a lot of people to watch your team succeed no matter where you're at in life so i think to watch so many people come back whether it be former players people that just live in the community and then obviously the parents and families that that support these kids i mean it w- it was a great atmosphere and those are the type of atmospheres that you know while i'm sure there was some things that uh, People say just in the competitive nature, it was sure. a mostly positive, supportive atmosphere that just everybody was rooting on a great basketball game. And, and it was full. The the Mercyhurst Athletic Center was full the the entire time, and I think that was one of the great things. I mean, you saw you saw overflowing fans at the end of the McDowell Erie game. Same thing. A lot of McDowell fans staying for the Prep GM game. So it was a great night. Uh, sad to see GM and McDowell both out, but what a great season for both of those teams. They went further than I think either um, of those two. Co- Coaches thought they would go. All right. On the girls' side, um, John, do you think is there one team in particular that's impressed you the most so far in the D10 girls tournament in any class? Man, that you know, I think McDowell's certainly been impressive. They, you know, early on in the year they had some bumps, uh, but they they have found some success. Uh, I think you'd be hard pressed not to give a shout out to what Greenville did. Yeah, taking on uh, the team that. You know, and I'll be the first to admit it. I thought Fairview was the best team in that that classification, and and I, when we predicted these brackets, I had Fairview winning, and I thought it would be relative. I don't want to say with ease because I don't think you you get into the playoffs and you're you're gonna walk your way to a championship. But I thought that Fairview had a deep enough team and had the balance and chemistry to make make things go their way. Greenville on Wednesday night frustrated that offense. You knew obviously it's going to go through Hope Garrity. For most things, Caroline Zentis not being 100%, she couldn't play the full game. That played a factor. Sarah Genuso did what she could, um, and it, it was just hard. It was a big moment, and, and in a close game that, that Fairview maybe didn't have as much experience this year, but they have had experience in the past. But you've got to tip your hat to Greenville, the coaching staff there, uh, and what they were able to do because they found a way not only defensively to shut down Hope Garrity and company, but to find the way to move things in and out offensively to find the uh, buckets needed to to advance to the district championship game against Lakeview. Yeah, and we'll get to that bracket in just a second. But the one thing that I would say on the side of Fairview, uh, number one, I don't think they even looked that good against Wilmington in the first round on Saturday. I was at that game. Uh, the Greyhounds defense specifically was terrific in guarding Hope. But if there's one positive that you're going to take from Fairview, I think Aaron Garrity secretly is happy his team is not in the finals. And I think he's happy that they're going to have to play in to get to the state tournament because we've talked about there are some teams that have had to face adversity, some teams that haven't. Fairview, by the nature of how good they are, really haven't had to play any close-knit games. The only games they've had to play close were against their opponent on Saturday, Mercy vs. Prep. But I think... It's better to have a game like this and still be alive than have a game like this and be eliminated. So uh, we'll see what our predictions are for that on Saturday in just a couple of minutes. A a team I want to give a shout-out to, and I know we don't cover them that much, but Slippery Rock. Oh, my goodness, can they shoot the ball from outside. Um Ella McDermott and company over over in Slippery Rock in their game against Harbor Creek, they shot the lights out. They had five three-pointers, I think, in the first quarter alone. And just really 
commanded the floor so well. They're a senior-dominated team, I believe. At least four, if not all five of their starters are seniors. And you can tell they just mesh together. They're able to move the ball effectively. Their defense is on point. And their defense is also aggressive because they know they can go down and score at will on the other side. So they're going to play Warren in the 5A final coming up on Saturday. All right, uh, Class 1A, Kennedy Catholic and Farrell. That game happening on Saturday. I think John and I both are taking Kennedy Catholic in that game. So let's go to Class 2A. Uh, and the championship game there, West Middlesex and Maplewood, uh, two teams that have taken different paths to get here. Maplewood having to scrounge out a win against Cambridge Springs in what to me was the best game by far in the girls' D10 tournament so far, a 47-46 win last night. What do you think? Because uh, I give credit to Maplewood, but I don't know if they can handle the Big Red. Yeah, the Big Red. <laughs> it's just, you know, they, they are such a successful program at just finding ways and, and adapting to what players they have. They have an ability, and it's just one of those teams that they're just smooth. You know, every team takes on their own personality. Some like the scrappiness of, of being a little edgy. Others, you know, three-point, or they use the, the, the tall forward on the block. This team just has it all usually on a year-to-year basis, and they just make it look smooth. That's not to say Maplewood's going to – roll over and, and, and hand them the trophy. Uh, but I think I think it'll be a very competitive game, but I think West Middlesex in the end is just going to have too much. Like Fairview, I may eat my words <laughs> next time we do this, but uh, that's where I'm going to go on that one. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there because I don't want to be wrong twice. I would only rather be wrong once. I think West Middlesex wins that too. And I also want to make, an, uh, make a, another mention too. Remember, a lot of these third-place games are for a berth in the state tournament. I really liked how Cambridge Springs came out on Wednesday and played Maplewood. They were up 10-5 to early. The Yonk sisters, uh, were able, Madeline and McKenzie, were able to really start the game off strong. I think they're going to beat Cochranton, and I think they're going to get to the state tournament and that's a game that's a team I think could potentially go and at least win one game I think they're scrappy enough like Maplewood where they can if they get a team that's not the greatest offensively and they play a 37-36 game I think they could win at least one Uh, but Cambridge Springs Maplewood I think will both make the tournament I think West Middlesex will end up winning uh, and they would play the number six seed from region uh, district seven all right, let's go to 3A, and and I we've talked about this. Fairview, of course, not in the championship game. It's Greenville Lakeview. Let's pick that pick that game first, John. Uh, who do you take in, in a final that I don't think any of us expected? Well, I think we I had Lakeview, Lakeview in that we, one, yes. so yes, and and they they got a good test against Mercyhurst Prep, but boy, I I'm going to take Greenville in this one, and it's not often you're going to see a four seed make it all the way and win a district championship. I'm not saying it's never been done. I, of course, I'm not the historian that some some in this area um, that have had more experience in that uh, would probably answer that question, you know, better than myself. But you know, it, not often in recent memory since I've been here, since dating back to 2016, I've seen it. Greenville has the best shot of any because of the way they play and they find what you do best and they shove it back in your face. Mm-hmm. and uh, So I'm going to take Greenville on this one. I think it's going to be close. It may require overtime. Lakeview had it in its last game against Mercyhurst Prep, but I will take Greenville in this one uh, in, in a battle for a Mercer County region that, that you know a lot of people were talking about this morning. They had a, they had a dogfight down there, and it's showing off that it paid dividends for a team like Greenville. No, they, And again, credit to them. I mean, these two teams, I think, are both scrappy, and I think the advantage Greenville has, I think Lakeview might have a complete team, but I don't know if they have a singular athlete on their team better than Hope Garrity. So if Greenville can shut 
hope down. I think they have a high likelihood of shutting down Lakeview as a whole. So yeah, I mean, I'd take Greenville too. Why not? Ride the momentum wave. And again, like we said, both teams make it into the state tournament, so you don't want to try to play for injury. Uh, so I think Greenville wins. Both teams will make it to the state tournament. And uh, that will be that. Gotta ask, John. It's a play-in game between Fairview and Mercier's prep. Round three. I remember saying 15 minutes ago, it's very hard to beat a team three times in a season, and Fairview would have to do that against the Lakers. Is there any chance that arguably the best team in District 10 and the boys and girls side doesn't make it to the state tournament? I mean, it's going to come down to health again. I mean, I'm not saying their best player in in Fairview is going to be out, but Caroline Zent has meant a lot to that team in terms of defense, and they struggled inside last night. Um, I know she plays mainly in the guard position, but, you know, they struggled last night at times when she wasn't on the court. Um, And for Mercier's prep, they're dealing with, uh, you know, some some – question marks around Anna Tranum so yeah. I, I mean you know there, there's there's injuries you don't get to this point of the season with how some bumps and <laughs> right. bruises at least um man I that that was a very dejected Fairview team last night because they know how much they put in to getting that undefeated season winning the region and the District 10 title was a large goal for them as it is for a lot of teams but for them specifically uh I think they get a bounce back game I think Aaron Garrity knows his team is going to bounce back in a big way. And that's not to say Dan Perfetto's team is not going to bounce back. That, that's that's tough to go punch for punch into overtime, especially with somewhat of a shorthanded roster and then try and come back. I, I'm, I'm going to take Fairview. I think it's going to be close again. It'll probably come down to some free throws and how well one team shoots at the end. Isn't it funny for Mercier's prep that honestly playing in the championship, if you were to tell Mercier's prep that playing in the championship game would have been a quote-unquote easier path than playing in the consolation game, they'd have laughed in your face. Um, I think it's going to be close. I think Olivia Kulik's going to have to play out of her mind for Mercier's prep if the Lakers are going to want to win this game. But, you know, for Fairview, it's going to go one of two ways. You're either going to come out strong, get on a big run, play great defense and win, or they're going to lay an egg dwelling over the past. I don't think Aaron Garrity is going to allow his team to do that. I think Fairview will win. I think they'll make it into the tournament. And I do think that loss is going to do them better good than it would maybe a win in that game against Greenville where they didn't play very well. Uh, Villa's moving on in Class 4A. They're going to play on Saturday. Yes, at St. Mary's. At St. Mary's. Uh, They will make the state tournament regardless, I believe. Uh, But what do you think about Villa? What have you made from them uh, so far in two very impressive performances? Well, they've gotten stronger, and that's that's hard hard to say from a team that usually starts pretty strong um, with the lineups they have. They've gotten stronger throughout the year. They've gotten contributions from others. Um, You know, so I think they're going to be a a very difficult out as they always are. Um, They've usually found success. um, You know, when they in these first few games of the sub regionals. I think you'll expect much of the same there, and then it'll be the battle of trying to overcome either uh, the District 6 um, representatives or someone out of the Whitfield that, that has given them fits in the past. Yeah, We'll go to Class 5A last. We'll go to Class 6A. Uh, McDowell beating Alderdice last night, so they will move on to play on Saturday, and uh, they're, of course, into the state tournament regardless. Uh, got got to be honest with you. I'm, I didn't think McDowell would make it this far, but they've done a great job. And Kalen Spano, I think, has led the charge with that team. I'm impressed with McDowell. I I think they're playing great defense, and who knows how far they're going to go. But I give them a lot of credit. Yeah, I mean to to, to find a way to just play some of your better basketball in the bigger games of the year. Um, you know, I know there was a loss by one point to Erie on their home court, and that was a frustrating night for them because it just seemed like a couple of shots just wouldn't go down for them. Since then, they responded well. They've, they've dealt with it the right way. 
Yeah, I mean, they're, they, they've got to go on a long road trip. It's not going to be easy there. It's never good when you've got to get on a bus and go a couple of hours away. Um, but all these teams are going to have to do it eventually. Um, so, you know, give them a shot. They, they, they have a chance to compete, um, and, and we'll see what happens. All right, finally in Class 5A, you've got Warren and Slippery Rock. I think two of the more impressive teams in the tournament so far. It's going to be a heck of a game. I think this could be one of the high-scoring games of the entire night on Saturday when these two teams will meet uh, at Meadville High School. It's a pick 'em for me. I don't know who I would take, but I'm, I'll defer it to you first. Uh, th- thanks for that. <laughs> I enjoy that. Uh, you know, I, I think the interesting thing is Warren fell behind against Grove City early on, and, and whether it was settling in, trying to figure things out, they have a veteran team that's obviously been deep in these playoffs uh, before, just like last year when they, they went, I believe, to the uh, state quarterfinals, if I'm remembering correctly, if not the semifinals. Forgive me if I misspoke there. But, um, man, Slippery Rock was shooting well against Harbor Creek the other night. Uh, but when you have a, a combo, Emma Ruhlman, Riley Childress, and then Alana Stewart, uh, she had a, a, a good night. I don't know if they can start as slow as they did the other night. They were they were fortunate enough that it was only a 12-8 deficit at one point um, late in the first quarter, and then they kind of started to get things going. Um, if they come out better, uh, they were good defensively, and they, they, they admitted that, that that was their focus to make the stops defensively. So maybe they were focusing a little more too much defensive-wise that, that, that stunted their uh, offensive game early on. But they're going to be a tough out just because of the experience and the way that they play with those those two, I mean, leading the charge. I agree. And I think Slippery Rock, as well as they played against Harbor Creek, they're going to have to do the exact same thing. They're going to have to replicate that performance on Saturday. Uh, and Ella McDermott's going to be a big caveat for that. I think for Slippery Rock, the first quarter of this game is going to be huge because I, I think it's Slippery Rock will need to have the lead at the end of the first quarter and probably end of the first half to win the game. But yeah, I mean, Warren's too deep. I think they've got so much talent on that team, and I think their defense has been so threatening against teams in this tournament that I don't think Slippery Rock can shoot the ball as well as they have in the past, including yesterday when they beat Harbor Creek. Uh, you know, John, it's it's been a heck of a tournament. I mean, final thoughts. In, in your mind, do you think are, are there more teams now than you thought at the beginning of the tournament that you think could make a potential run in the state playoffs? Has the first week changed your mind on anything? Because it has been a, a tournament of ups and downs and some surprises. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the, the problem is there's so many good teams around the state once you get in into that competition. I think there's a lot of battle-tested teams, but it, it goes down to, you know, do you beat up on yourself in district play too much for some, some districts rather than others that you get in there and you're a worn-down team? Uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of great competition. I think you're going to see some teams, uh, as you mentioned, maybe one or two that make a deeper run in the state playoffs than maybe some expected. Um, but, yeah, it should be a good, good fun weekend going into that, and then we'll see how it all plays out. Um, I think overall... Um, you know, you're going to have some great representatives out of District 10. Yeah, you are. And the state tournament starts on Tuesday. Uh, we've got a lot of other things going on, too, around the region. Of course, wrestling continuing. District swimming is happening this Saturday. So as winter turns to spring, winter continues for sports. Spring, not quite yet. Even though baseball, softball is supposed to start in April, we all know this is Erie County and that will not happen. Okay, next week we are going to talk a lot more about basketball as we get set for the state tournament. Plus we got to start talking about the NFL draft. Yeah, the combine happening right now. A lot of talk about Kenny Pickett and his small hands. You know what they say, if you've got small hands, you must wear small gloves.
So I don't know. Kenny Pickett, is it going to be a problem? Who are the Steelers going to get as their quarterback? And will the Browns and Bills trade their picks? Will they take some guys? Are the Bills getting Rob Gronkowski? We don't know. That's why we talk about it, and that's why we debate it here on The Critical Eye. All right, back next week, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. Go watch some basketball. Go stay warm, and make sure you stay safe on this first weekend in the month of March. See you later, everybody. Take care.